0: Jesus, thank you for calling us and redeeming us and making us your own. Thank you that we can trust you as our God and our King. Thank you that you, by your Spirit, have given us a book and record of the history of what you've done and who you are and how you've operated in the world, how you operated through your church. As we take up this chapter this morning, we ask that once again our hearts are warmed by who you are and the confidence that we can have that you are Lord of heaven and earth. We thank you for all these things. Amen. Chapter 25 is where we pick up today. And um, last time we saw uh, Paul before Felix and Felix... uh, putting the kibosh on any hopes of him getting out of imprisonment to the tune of two years where they'd have these little fireside chats. And ultimately Felix was removed and a new sheriff rolls into town named Festus. And he enters the scene as the new procurator of the Judean provinces. And we have very little in the way of information of who Festus is, uh, what... Uh, what went on in his administration. We have, really, Luke's account here and a couple of snippets from Josephus. And that really highlights something. Christianity is, uh, at its core, a claim of historical facts. And Luke's account of this guy's administration is a historical presentation. It is a record of what we have of what the legal system was like in the first century under Roman rule. It's what we got. There's authority there from just the history of it. And so I think a lot of times we forget that Christianity is built upon history, actual, reported history. It's not tripping on these, you know, rhetorical phrases and this mystical nonsense. It is a historical claim that's either verified or denied. And here we have this guy lived and died. As a procurator of uh, Judea at this time, and the only record we have of him is Luke and a couple of snippets from Josephus. Right? These are the historical records. This is the basis that historians would go to to study this period. So, to deny the veracity of Scripture is to rip away history. So, anyway, uh, I, one of the things that just drives me nuts—I'll just go—is—is the—is the. Is the um, Eastern mysticism and its attraction to our culture. Like, it's so profound to say, yes, it's like one hand clapping. What, what does that mean? What? what? <laughs> it was written... That is a statement by a monk puppeteer somewhere. I, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't understand why this is so attractive to people, this, this kind of thing. When you have... A written word that's verifiable objective. All right, so what we do know of Festus is that he had a three or four uh, year term, very brief, that ended suddenly from his death by illness in AD 62. Okay, so this guy was here for a little bit. And Josephus tells us that it was during that time between Festus's death and the new procurator that was appointed over that region that the high priest... Uh, in Jerusalem, moved to put James, the brother of Jesus, to death. So this is the dynamics of political scene at the time. Heightened uh, persecution in Jerusalem to this, to the point that they're taking advantage of the lapses in Roman rule over the over the region uh, at the time. Uh, Josephus liked Festus uh, because he put down the revolutionaries that ravaged the countryside during Felix's time. Remember, Felix was a very weak ruler; didn't care about the Jews. Uh, whenever something came up, he brutally suppressed them and it caused even more stuff. Well, Festus seems to be more of a fair-minded fair guy. He's very interested in Roman justice. And Luke kind of supports that view as well. But it's a little bit more nuanced than, than the blanket approval that Josephus gives. Luke portrays for us a guy who has high ideals of Roman justice. But when it comes to it, he yields to Jewish pressure with relation to Paul. Paul. He can't even live by his own standards, is what we see with Festus. Um, does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Roman ruler, angry Jews, yielding to pressure from the Jews. Does any, is, always. I mean, again, and a lot of people have said that these chapters of Paul's trials of, of 25 and 26 that we'll see have a lot of similarities before Pilate. Same kind of deal where they all of them have testified he's done nothing wrong and yet they hang on to it, they don't just dismiss the case. So, anyway, it's very, very similar, uh, similar parallels uh, between Paul's experience over these next two chapters and Jesus' trial before Pilate. So, let's see how far we can get in chapter 25. Uh, Verse 1 Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province. He went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. All right, so the new guy comes on, quite naturally. He wants to go to the cultural center of the, of, of the region, right, which is Jerusalem. Uh, he, he gets into Caesarea, and within three days he's in Jerusalem meeting with the Jews. It was the administrative capital in Caesarea, so he's traveling to Jerusalem. He's very... Hands-on, wants to get stuff done. What does that tell you about Festus versus Felix? What does it tell you? Well, Felix was not that way. No. Like, he, he was a procrastinator. He's more proactive. He's more uh, Felix, uh, Festus is more proactive. Yes. Felix is more reactive. Uh, yes, I think that's I think that's valid assessment. Uh, and what, you know, you get in with the new procurator as a Jewish leader. What do you bring before this new leader? Here's, he's a little unsteady. He's trying to get his feet firm on the place. What, what, what would you think that they'd be asking him about at this time? What's, what's that burning issue that Felix never addressed that we've got to get before Festus and get done? What would that be of all the issues? Paul. Paul? <laughs> really? Is he that much of a threat? I mean, can you imagine for two years? Felix, I tell he just gotta kill Paul. Just, he's over the corner, just his nose bleeding, and the high priest is doing that. For two years we've been waiting to see the blood of Paul, you know, and, and they get Festus, and this is the thing they bring up. Not, hey, can we not slaughter our people anytime they get a little angry? Not can we get a little bit more funds to help with the roads? You know, can we get a little bit more military here to keep the peace? Can they not beat us? You know, Paul. <laughs> I, does not make sense? I mean, that just shows so much, the heart of these people. Yeah. I was going to say, all those things apply to people who aren't them. They're, you know, uh, they're not going to be beaten in the streets by Roman soldiers because they're actual have standing with the people. Right. That would right. make the rioters more angry. Right. But, Paul threatens their power yep i think that's a good point that's a good point he threatens their power all right so uh, what is what is uh festus uh response here um the, what are they asking first of all what is their request to him paul and do what what do they want he's in caesarea we just want to talk to, we just want to, talk to him here can we move it here? That sounds very non-threatening, doesn't it? How far is it? Suspiciously non-threatening? I don't know. Maybe maybe 20 miles or so. Is it, You know, a day and a half as the crow flies. I don't know how long it is. But, but it's a lot. It's a lot. You know, it's not a big deal, apparently. I mean, he goes right down there to do it. But what's the issue? The heart of Roman administration in the area versus... Where? our turf right bring him to Jerusalem now why would they want to do that I mean we know the motive yeah. Luke gives us the motive who's involved in this have we seen this before <laughs> the plot to kill him on the, on the trip right who's directly involved this time the chief priests the the leaders before it was the 40 guys that swore not to eat or drink. Of course, we don't hear about those guys because they're probably all dead now. Uh, the 40 guys who took an oath not to eat or drink until Paul was dead, they're not involved in this. This is, the, lead, this is the, the movers and shakers in Jerusalem want Paul dead. That's a significant threat. And so for them to get him here, to get him in Jerusalem, means he's hosed. Right? So that's the thing. Does Festus know this? No. Nope. Does Festus know, he probably didn't even know about the previous plot. Yeah. <clears throat> so what's his motive for keeping him in Caesarea? He denies it, ultimately. So what is, it, what is his motive for keeping them in Caesarea? What do you think? I think it's like I'm in charge here. Control. You, play, you play by my rules. Yeah. I think you're right. You have a problem. You come, you, you, you come where you're supposed this to. This is a Roman issue. This is my, this is my case. Put his foot down. He's putting his foot down, but he's doing it very diplomatically. Uh, the other thing is, who wants to stay in Jerusalem for a trial? <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, at this time, it's not the best place. Um. So there's a convenience thing there. It's a really a practical issue. I'm in charge, and who, who wants to go to Jerusalem? So inadvertently, without even thinking about it, without even that being his motive, Festus becomes Paul's protector here. And that's a theme we'll see increase as we go through this. All right, let's look at, uh, let's look at uh, verse 6. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, this is so precise. Eight or ten days, a little while. No, no little time. Well, what, eight or ten days, it's very precise. He went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. And I, and I hear that line like Yule Brenner, in, uh, in Ten Commandments to Moses. So it is written, so it shall be done. I hear that line. To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar, I just hear that that way. I don't know why. But anyway, for what it's worth. That's there's, there's what's going on in my head. Apparently, the Jews take Festus up on his offer. And in a little over a week, Paul finds himself in the same situation he was in two years ago. Festus is a man about getting things done. Uh, he's in a room, Paul is in a room again, full of angry Jews. Uh, and a uh, wet noodle of a ruler, <laughs> ultimately what turns out turns out to be he's a, he, maybe a confused Roman ruler, would be a better way to say it. Um, so what's the posture of the room here? What do we what do we what's the visual that we have? Off with his head. Well, there's sort of that. Mm-hmm. What's what are the, where are the Jews in relationship to Paul? Yeah. I'm a lot of angry shouting. of Jews around Festus with Paul at the other end of the room, and then Festus goes. You have proven a go <laughs> Probably some of that. What's the visual? It says surrounding. Surrounding Paul. That's not intimidating. <laughs> I mean, here's the judge. Here you are, and here are all your accusers. Right? Um, so there's a maximum amount of intimidation in the posture of the room. Are they more successful... At making their charges this time, less so. Less so? Why do you say that? What does it say? Paul doesn't even have to give a defense this time. He's yeah. like the. To... Well, it's what what Luke's recorded. Well, yeah. What are the charges? Incidentally, that's a good point. What are the charges? It just says many. Many. I'm serious. Sorry. Do we know what they are? Do, can we can we can we, we tease can out? They're the same ones as before. Okay. and Why can we assume that? What else would they be charging? Okay. And what's Paul's defense? What is it? What are we given? I've done nothing wrong against the temple or the Jewish the law. Temple, the temple? The Jewish law or the Roman law? Wasn't that the issue before? The temple, I've defiled the temple, Jewish law, he's whatever. And then and then there is the the Roman law, he's an insurrectionist, right? So Paul is denying those charges again, same thing. Um, it was and he's emphatically saying that he did not break any law, including that of Caesar. And that's the charge that keeps him in front of the Roman tribunal, which is where he wants to stay. (laughs) Right? Dealt with these jokers before. The best chance I've got at justice is with the Romans. So we're going to hang out there. So what's your impression of where Festus stands on these issues? He just wants to push it off onto somebody else. He wants to get it done. Does he feel confident... And his understanding of the issues at hand to get it done. No, this is a very thorny issue for him, isn't it? He knows Paul is innocent. I mean, in the statement they made charges that they could not prove, means he's innocent. Mm-hmm. What should he have done? Go. You're free to go. <laughs> but he didn't want the other. Yes, he's a new guy coming in. Mm-hmm. He knows the history of the area. They're already agitated by the Romans with Felix does Paul? what does Luke say that Festus is wanting to do here? He asks Paul. Do him a favor. He wants to do the Jews a favor, so he asks Paul. Right. And how does he how does he what is the content of that question? Go ahead. Well, I, I think he he knew at this point he had to know Paul was a Roman citizen. Right. And that's, why that's why he's he, there. He's there. And so he knows he can't really force him. ...to go to Jerusalem and he sees the whole situation, but he, he sees all the people uprising against Paul and doesn't want to have the same problems Felix did. Right. So he's like, well, if this guy will go along quietly and whatever happens happens, that might make my life easier. How did he... He seems to tr- be trying to split the baby here. Yeah. Yeah. Come to Jerusalem and then you can be heard before me. Is be tried on these charges before me. It'll still be a Roman thing, but hey, we'll just be on their turf. Well, what's wrong with that? Paul's like, we're, we're already here. Why don't we need to go mm-hmm. over there? There is that procedural issue. What else? It's not under <coughs> Roman grounds. Right. I mean, it would still be sort of, but it's on their turf. What do these Jews have in mind for Paul when he steps foot out of Caesarea? They're just going to get him on the road. They're going to get him on the road. They're not going to wait for a trial. And it doesn't seem like Felix is really, uh, I'm sorry, Felix, it doesn't seem like Festus is really of the mindset to send the 200 and some odd soldiers that Lysias did to get him, right? So there's more of an opportunity for them to pick him off on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, All right. So. It doesn't seem that he believes the charges any more than Felix. He wants to do the Jews a favor. Uh, and so there's this whole idea, and we're not really sure what he meant by this before me, but we think that it's a Roman trial with Jewish leaders as maybe on the advisory council of the, of the deal. So he had denied doing that favor for them before, but now was bending to their pressure that way. So what's the writing on the wall for Paul? He's starting to want to curtail favor with these Jewish leaders. The it's, it's unclear what his motives were in this offer, but they didn't seem innocent, <laughs> right? Mm. If, Feft, if, if he keeps going down this road of currying favor with them, that's going to ultimately put Paul in jurisdiction of Jerusalem. He doesn't want to go there. That's the last thing he wanted to do. So what's the tone of his response? I mean, he does appeal to Caesar, but what's the tone of his response? I mean can you hear the voice of him saying this stuff? I mean I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. <laughs> it seems a little defiant, doesn't it yeah. he's he's tired of playing with these wet noodle rulers right Look, let's just get this done <laughs> he he's he's fed up with Roman justice at this point I think he uh he rebukes Festus here, and there's kind of a word play uh uh, with favor and give me up there's kind of a word play there uh, he says as you yourself know very well you know the implication you spineless ninny. you know or, or there's and then he says the word play between favor and give me up in the original text um, some have some have translated that part of it as you want to grant a favor to the jews by granting me to them this is the way that some people translate that so he knows the the game and and that any hope is lost if he's turned over the jews it was only through the Roman tribunal that he had any chance of justice. And now we see Festus leaning that way, going toward handing Paul over to the Jews. And so he does the only play that he has left to do, which is, I make my appeal to Caesar. Now, this is an interesting thing. We don't know a whole lot about this appeal to Caesar business, but it seems to be an ancient right of Roman citizens going all the way back to like mid-5th century B.C., where they had the ability to appeal a ruling or verdict from a magistrate to a jury of your peers. Does that sound familiar? When the empire, uh, you know, when democracy died, uh, not, not with bombs, but with uh, thunderous applause, and the emperor, emperor took over, um, that rule of, or that appeal to uh, the, the jury, became the appeal to the emperor because the emperor was your peers. All of them. I don't know how significant that right was after that was the appeal, but that that's the way it went. So the emperor, it was the appeal to the emperor was based on a, a, a bad ruling or a, a ruling you disagreed with as a Roman citizen with a magistrate. Now, what's the issue here? Has there been a ruling? No. There's been no ruling. The other thing is if it's a clear area of legal precedent and there's really no question what the law is on the issue, then the magistrate, the procurator here, could say, no, we're not doing that. It's clear. You're not getting that appeal to Caesar. Mm-hmm. But when he's uncertain about what the status of the law is, he can grant. He does, he said, it's really an absolute right in that, in that situation. And that's what we have here. He doesn't always do it. He understands it to be an area of Jewish law, Jewish religious Stuff, but it's not a Roman thing. But what do you do with that when he's a Roman citizen? So there's some, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a new area of, uh, of precedent that needs to be set here in Roman law. And lawyers will be salivating over this, but we have Paul. He's not really interested in the legal issue as much as he is. Number one, staying alive. Number two, well, maybe getting to Rome, getting to Rome because that's where he's supposed to be. So he makes his appeal to Caesar um, all right. So after a brief consult with his advisors, uh, Festus acknowledges pa- Paul's right and ratifies that appeal. Now, who's the Caesar at this time? Nero. Oh. <laughs> Which sounds like, dun, da da. You know, it sounds really bad to hear Nero's the Caesar at this time. Except for the fact that we have two Nero's. We have early Nero, which is fairly stable, and later Nero, where he goes absolutely crazy. <laughs> and so this is early Nero, so a little bit more fair possibility. Up years. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Bef- yeah. Anyway, so we have Paul. So everybody thinks, oh, Paul must have been beheaded by Nero. We don't know, because at that time, it's not real sure, you know, where... That, that, that was a foregone conclusion in this situation because of the, the status of Nero's rule. Um, but remember the words of Jesus. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And here he is. All the pieces here. Mm-hmm. All the little chessmen on this board. And here he is getting him exactly to... Years and a little over a week later, he's got him going to Rome, fulfilling that promise. But before he goes to Rome, he has a visit with Agrippa. And let's read about that. Verse 13. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. Just read everything you want to into that statement. There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together... Here I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case such as, of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. All right. so things are hopping at the court of Festus. And within a couple of days, after all this hubbub, he receives the king of the Jews and his sister Bernice. (laughs) Curious thing about Agrippa II, <laughs> he was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was reared in Rome and he traded a small kingdom that he had inherited from his uncle for greater lands to be somewhat rulers ruler sharing with the Romans uh, that, in, that included at the very end of, uh, well later on in it, that included parts of the Sea of Galilee, Caesarea Philippi and some, some other areas. By and large, his entire reign as king of the Jews was over Gentiles. He didn't have Judea or Samaria. He didn't have Jerusalem. But he had a little bit of that area. And he comes to visit um, Festus as kind of a, you know, just thinking he'd say hi. And here he is thrown into a Jewish thing. Uh, his sister, also interesting character. Um, I don't want to get into too, detail, too detailed about this. There, there are a lot of scandalous rumors about their relationship. Uh, and she was known to be, I think, the Jewish Cleopatra. Does that? Okay. This, this is the kind of people <laughs> that we're going to be. Paul will be testifying in front of in chapter twenty-six. The brother and the sister. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, ultimately, Bernice um, goes to uh, Rome, and. Uh, she has an, a, a, a scandalous affair with uh, Titus, who was the son of the emperor Vespasian, right? And Vespasian, uh, Titus would have married her, except it was very socially um, frowned upon to marry a Jewess. So he didn't. And when he became emperor, he had to put away the relationship. So she, this is, this is, the, this is the character of the people that are sitting in judgment over Paul, the apostle, okay? This is what he's looking at. This is where he is. Um, all right. He was considered to be king of the Jews because he could appoint the high priest. Um, he had uh, certain power over certain things dealing with uh, with, with the Jews, but mainly Samaria, Samaria, uh, uh, and, and Judea were maintained by Roman procurators for obvious reasons. That means it's a troubled area. You don't want to give it over to some yahoo. So the Romans had, had ge- granted uh, Agrippa II the, vestments, uh, the ceremonial vestments of the high priest on the Day of Atonement. This man wears the high priest garments for the Day of Atonement with his, sitter, his sister sitting right next to him. So Luke paints all this for us by just saying these are the two people. People go, oh, you know, this is a shocker. Well, I was going to do a comparison, but I probably shouldn't. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, this is, these are the rulers. And, and, and so, we're setting the stage. Luke sets the stage uh, for the, 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 the speech that Paul gives here, which is kind of the climactic speech of all of his defense before the Jews. And he, he ends up giving this speech before Roman rulers and the, king, the supposed king of the Jews, which is a huge deal. But we'll deal with that uh, next week, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. So let's look at um, wh- what reason would Festus have to give this case to Agrippa? Why would he bring this? Why would he say, hey, come check this out? He's got knowledge over Jewish issues. He has knowledge over Jewish issues. Sort of. Sort of. Well, He's supposedly. supposedly. Yeah. I mean, he is king of the Jews, yeah. right? Sure. He should. He should. Why did it not go straight to Caesar when he made the appeal to Caesar? Why did they make a pit stop? With him? Sure. Well, the next period. Yeah, he he had yeah. Agrippa came there. Right? Agrippa came there, and it was within three days that Paul had made his appeal. He was making arrangements for him to go, and so they had the. the so it's not a judgment one. It's just he wants to listen. To right, him. he wants to listen, and he's got to he's got to give a report to Caesar. So Agrippa didn't come for this purpose. No. He got swept up into the deal. Into the Festus is the new leader. He thought he was just going to be feasting and dancing. Yeah. But here he is dealing with a judicial issue. He needs to, he needs to formulate a written report to Caesar on this issue. And he's got no idea what to do because he doesn't understand the issues. And you kind of see that by how he describes the issues, right? Um, <clears throat> do we get any new information from Festus relaying of information to Agrippa. Is there anything new that Festus tells us about this? Well, it does tell you why he sort of dismissed the charges of the priest. It was because it wasn't over actual legal matters. Okay. A, from his point of view, differences in a religion that he does not hold. Right, right. And so. I going to be that petty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, it, I, was like, yeah. I thought, this was I like thought these were going to be... Yeah, these are not the charges that I expected, uh-huh. right, is what he's saying. I expected insurrection, I expected, you know, heads on pikes, all kinds of stuff from this guy, from the way they're painting him, and there's none of that. It's he is claiming that a man who was dead is now alive, and they're up in arms about it. He doesn't even say that, though. Right. That's the funny thing. It's like they claim that Jesus is dead, and he claims that he's alive. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He's not denying it, even. But he's just saying, I don't understand. (laughs) He kind of sounds like Lysias here, though, too, because notice how he paints himself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What was the request that they made to him? Was it, we want him without trial to kill him? Which is what he says here. No, it was, spring bring him to Jerusalem. But he is a great protector of Paul to Agrippa. He paints himself in that light. Roman justice. We will have justice for this Roman citizen. I just don't understand what to put in the report. And it was also the, uh, Felix left the problem for me. Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> it's always, always bad mouth the previous administration. It's always yeah. a good play. And and there's a lot to badmouth with Felix. It's, well, anyway, just, again the comparisons I could I could go on, but um, so you have him relaying this story that's really kind of puffery to make himself look better, right? Um, he's presenting himself in the role of Paul's protector. protector. Um, all right, what does Festus say regarding the Jewish case against? Paul, it wasn't what he was expecting. There's no evidence of treason or crime in, in Roman law. He says, it dealt with their religion and a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. This reference to the resurrection is kind of intriguing, isn't it? I mean, doesn't it kind of display this really inability to comprehend the concept of resurrection to, in the pagan mind? He just says he's dead and says he's alive. What does, that, you know, what does that mean? He gives no other uh, indication that he understands what's going on. And that's the point. Festus really isn't competent to hear this case. He, he doesn't understand the issues. Literally doesn't even know how to explain it to Caesar. And doesn't know how to explain it to Caesar. Doesn't know how to explain it to Agrippa. So why continue it then? I mean, if there's nothing clear under Roman law that he's violated, why continue it? Because he's going to have an uprising if he dismisses it. And that's where we see the failing of Festus. You have all these ideals, all this commitment to Roman justice, and he fails when it counts, right here. Um, He's seeking to do the Jews a favor. And here we see he doesn't live up to his own standards. Paul and the Christians were not guilty of any crime against the state. And Agrippa's response to this is very courteous to the new procurator that he would like to hear Paul's kid. No, he didn't. He had no interest in this. I would like to hear the man speak. I <laughs> hear the flat delivery of that line. Um, and Festus, of course, being a man of action. Sure, you take it. We'll, we'll get him tomorrow. You're going to hear this guy. All right, so this is, I think, hilarious, this next section. Look at verse 23. I know we have a few minutes. Okay, verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice, just let that lie. Mm-hmm. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with a great pomp, great pomp, <laughs> and they entered the audience, the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us. You see, this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after, pass that buck, Bubba, after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. (laughs) We got to come up with something. Picture the scene. Great, Mom. Great pomp. The, 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 hunger games. the hunger games with the thing. And all yes. the oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Great pomp. All these people come in. All these people come in. And Festus is there at the procurator's seat. And the King of Grippe, king of the Jews is next to him and Denver. Bernice. <laughs> and they are going to find justice here. Because they're honorable people. We're all, all honorable men. He probably didn't write his essay. Yeah. (laughs) I need help writing my essay to the emperor. Awesome. Awesome. Gets out those little index cards and starts doing the thing. Anyway, so this is the scene. He walks in. Paul is brought in before all of the leaders of the Roman, uh, all of the Roman leaders of the area. He's brought in before the king of the Jews and his sister. And here he is, the last speech we get from Paul in this setting regarding the relationship of Christianity to Judaism, relating to the truth of the resurrection. And I gotta wonder, I mean, it's an interesting discussion you see with King Agrippa in chapter 26. It really is fascinating. And we'll get to it next week, because, you know, it's late, the hour's late. He presents it though as if the whole thing was an unnecessary appeal. Paul, I didn't find anything wrong with you. But since you appealed to Caesar, let's go to Caesar. <laughs> right? Now I've got to write something. Right? It, yeah. yeah, now now you've made me oh, okay, Now you've made me write something. All right. So like I said earlier, the, 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 the speech from Paul pulls back to the defense he gave to the crowd in chapter 22 before the Sanhedrin and the other Roman procurators. And it's this final statement on the Christian position in relation to Judaism. So it's also that climactic uh, uh, scene where Paul bears witness to Christ before not only the gathered Roman rulers but before the Jewish king. And it, and it harkens back to the words of Christ. Take courage, for as you have testified the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And all of these people that are in this room think they're there at their own volition, or at least the volition of the king and the, and, the, and the procurator, to render judgment or to give help to the procreator about how to charge this man. And yet, they're all there because of the sovereign will of the king of heaven and earth, Christ, who, who has put his person in position there to bear testimony about himself. That's clearly displayed here. I move the heart of the king like a waterway. If he's got that power over kings and emperors how much more me you and the relative you would like to see come to Christ mm-hmm. the one you're praying for how much more can we trust him that he is in control mm-hmm. alright let's pray Father thank you for this time thank you for your word thank you that we can trust you and that you are creator and king over all. And as Spurgeon said, there's not a spray of the ocean that is not uh, according to your providence and your command. And there is not a, an area on the planet, an inch where King Jesus has not claimed that is mine. And so we're very confident in who you are and that even though the life that we live may look chaotic around us. We know that because of the work that is finished in Christ, we are at peace with you and we are traveling to the city of God and leaving the city of man. Lord, would you make us effective tools to take as many with us out of the city of man as we travel. Would you grant others the mercy that you've shown to us We pray for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.